Hello, welcome to Look for the Light, a weekly recap and discussion show that dives into each episode of HBO's television adaptation of the beloved video game series The Last of Us and explore the ways in which it expands upon the story of Joel and Ellie. I'm Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And this week, we're talking about episode 9, directed by Ali Abbasi, entitled, funny enough, full circle moment for us here, Look for the Light. Whoa. Um, whoa. End of the road, Wesley, at least for the time being. Um, how are you feeling about now that we've before we get into episode nine as a whole, now that the season's kind of wrapped up and you've got the full picture, how are you feeling about the first season of The Last of Us? So far, it's been amazing. Uh, I think that even for at the beginning, I was a bit skeptical as somebody who's played the games um, in like my engagement and my interest in stuff that I already knew was going to happen. Uh, but as the season went on, I got more and more engaged and interested, and I think they did a really good job at keeping it fresh for those who have played the game, um, but also sticking to the story for those who haven't and can really experience that story through the show. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think for me, you know, I love this story enough, so I'm fine with seeing it perfectly adapted, but things that stand out to me about this season are like episode three, which is like this completely separate individual thing that wants to be its own little story and really whenever they try to add fun little things like that that kind of expand upon and move into different directions of the story I love stuff like that well there is something in this episode that we'll get into that kind of expands upon that I thought was really really great even though it's kind of just like a little opening um but I I agree now that the season's wrapped up I think it's at it's perfect when it's adapting the last of us very straightforward but it was it, its ability to shift in and out of adding new things like seamlessly yeah. um, was, was so impressive. So on previous episodes of look for the light, we had mentioned concerns about this finale's runtime. I think as far back as episode six, we knew the runtime for the finale and we immediately were like, um, how are they going to do this? So after having watched episode nine, how do you feel they stuck the landing with that runtime? Do you think that it should have been a little bit longer? Do you, how do you, how you feel? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I think it should have been a little longer. Um, I think they definitely hit every point they needed to. Um, but you spend so little time in the hospital and mm -hmm. so many things happen that it's just like, I don't know, I feel like we could have spent more time there for me to feel the weight of what Joel is doing a little more. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like it was just very rushed. Um so I would have liked a bit more time. I can agree with that. I think this is a great episode, but it does have this problem where I'm just like, the whole room I was watching it with was like, damn, that's it? Like, that's the season finale? And like, yes, a lot happens. It's very impactful. You're left with a lot to think about and a lot to feel, but it just kind of just wraps up so fast. And I think that another episode, I know the show was originally supposed to be 10 episodes. I think it should have been. Um I don't think the nine is like detrimental to the story they're telling. And I don't think it like ruins anything by only being nine, but there's moments in this particular arc of the story that I really would have liked to see. And maybe we'll get pieces of them in the next season, but um, you know, Ellie giving Joel the photo of Sarah from the game, just not here. And I think that that's a nice moment that allows Joel to finally, like it's the first time he accepts Sarah's name and he talks about her. And I think that would have been really cool to see. And I know I've been preaching the gospel of the last of us is not about zombies and infected. <laughs> it's about people. That being said, this, this particular arc right here where they have to go through the, the tunnels underground and it's infected everywhere in the game. 
I think it does a lot for the story of showing how formidable Joel and Ellie have to be to to wiggle around here, to how sneaky they really have to get to finish this journey. And I'll be honest, the way that they end up meeting the Fireflies in this episode is a cop-out. I was like, oh man, that's a bit of a bummer. It's just a flash grenade, and then they just wake up in the hospital. I was like, okay. So I yeah, think removing I the say, tunnel was a bummer for me. Yeah, I will say that I feel like um, a way that the show decided for a lot of the characters, actually, um, to like skip over things was they just get like knocked out or they get hurt and then they pass out for a minute and they're awake and it's they're in the place or whatever mm-hmm. um which hey totally fair but why not show the extra stuff um yeah. like you were saying the importance that can show those little things can show about the characters and things i feel like just a lot of that got skipped over yeah because i feel like the logic while adapting a tv show like this is like we don't need the infected because the story's not about them. But in a sense, the infected do add to the character deaths of the of Joel and Ellie by ha- having shown how desperate they need to get at times, how sneaky they need to be, how hard it is to really exist and even just get through something as simple as like get to the other side of a tunnel, how hard that can be in this world. And I yeah. think, you know, having their journey just come to such a simple end for them, aside from, you know, what Joel ends up having to do... Um, it, it's very easy. They just walk into the city and then they run into the fireflies. And I think the game, having Joel and Ellie nearly drown and having them fight like 25 infected to get to the other side of this tunnel, I think it shows a lot about how much they're willing to push forward. And it does say a lot about their endurance. And so I think when you remove that entirely, things just kind of fall into their lap in this episode. And I was just like, okay, I'm not too upset about it. But I think it would have been nice to have at least one big action set piece like with the infected in this episode. Yeah. I feel like this episode makes like the smart decision to follow the game almost beat for beat with very little changes aside from the one I had just mentioned, like the lack of infected and the lack of, you know, having to really survive in this episode and also the opening. So I guess we can, we can talk a little bit about the opening. What did you think about showing Ashley Johnson playing Ellie's mom? I thought it was awesome. A great way to include her. A uh, great little extra piece of the story that we is very interesting because it explains why Ellie uh, is like not infected and can like trick the cordyce- or cordyceps or whatever um, in this very interesting flashback kind of way. Um, I thought it was really cool and very clever. Agreed. And you know, there, I'm not the first person to say it, but there's something so beautiful about having the woman who birthed Ellie in the video game space, like actually birth Ellie on the TV show. I think it's really cool to see from the second you hear Ashley Johnson running through those woods. uh, Morgan didn't even know that that was Ashley Johnson and our roommate or my, my roommate Morgan. He, uh, the first thing he says was just like, that's Ellie that I I know that's Ellie. I can hear it. Uh, Her voice is so distinctive. And it's funny because with Troy Baker in the previous episode, he's doing a different voice. So it's not immediately recognizable. But Ashley Johnson just sounds like Ellie. Like you watch her on um, Critical Role, right? Yeah, she. It, it Ellie is her voice. Like, yeah, there's that's just no. Her. And but Troy Baker doing Joel, that is a whole voice that he's doing for Joel. Like right. the way he's talking in the show, that's how he normally talks. Yeah. Um. So you can't tell, but the Ashley Johnson literally is just Ellie. Like. Yeah. I I think that the scene with with her at the beginning too is like. It is really tense, and I, somebody asked, why didn't we show it earlier? We're going to show Joel's path past. Why didn't we show all this stuff earlier? And to that I say, 
because it's way cooler to just throw it at the end of the story. You know, like just adding this little backstory to Ellie that we didn't know right towards the ending, I think is so impactful. And again, it shows the show's talent to like rip your heart out within just like five minutes. Like I found myself pretty quickly attached to Anna's character, maybe just because of the situation she's been put in. And even though I knew where things were headed, uh, it was still kind of an emotional gut punch. And I thought that she was really great in that opening scene. Having a what? So, yeah, I guess you kind of mentioned it, but like, do you think it the way that she ends up being immune, the way that Ellie's immune is like, does it make any sense to you? Just the way that she kind of like got bit as Ellie was coming here's, out. Here's what I have to say. I have two things to say about the scene. One, no, it makes zero sense to me. Um, because if the cordyceps infected the baby anyways, would it not just turn the baby into a zombie? It, it's very confusing to me. I don't really understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, but whatever. Second, she pushed an entire baby out of her stomach in like a minute. I thought that was interesting too. no trouble either while fighting a zombie. It was, it was a little ridiculous. I am not going to lie. When I watched Ashley Johnson look down and be like, oh, I popped a baby out of my vagina. It's like, what? I know. The first thing I thought was just like, oh, you just didn't even notice that happened. It just kind of slid out. Like, I don't yeah, think like, giving birth is like that. And, and it doesn't happen that fast either. Like, it literally happened in maybe a minute or like yeah. not even. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they were just like, oh, she's fighting the zombie so hard that she pushed the baby out. And it's like, what? And to be fair, I haven't given birth or had to fight a zombie while giving birth, so I don't know the technicalities of all that. Neither but, I, but I doubt it's that easy. Right, yeah, like, to just be like, oh, just gave birth. Didn't like, even notice. Oh, whoa, uh, the baby's on the floor now. Whoa, <laughs> crazy, slip right out. Did kind of crack me up, although I, I found it to be, like, it's interesting. It's an interesting idea, but I was just like, I don't know if that's how It that does works. not work at all, and I... I laughed my head off. Like, I was <laughs> out loud laughing watching the episode. I'll, I'll agree with you there. I also will agree that I don't really understand how that whole infection thing works, but I'm willing to suspend some disbelief there. You know, the, the game asks you to not even consider how Ellie's immune. So I'm able to do that. I'm able to at least consider the way that this would affect Ellie and how it would kind of confuse the cordyceps. But I guess my biggest, like, logic concern is just, like, the cordyceps are shown to act kind of slow throughout the human body. Mm -hmm. So the way that it just kind of like, I don't know. I just didn't understand fully how, how it just kind of immediately transferred over to Ellie and then it tricked the cordyceps and it didn't infect Ellie. I was just like, I'm not confused about the fact that she didn't turn. I'm just confused about the fact of how did the cordyceps even really make contact with Ellie in that time? Considering the second she gives birth, she cuts the cord. And so immediately, like, I don't even think the infection would have had reached that far up your body yet. So, no. I don't know. It doesn't fully make sense, but it's a very interesting idea, and I'm curious to see if they expand upon it later. Sounds like something they could have spent a little more time on in the episode. <laughs> mm, maybe maybe an extra 10 minutes there. Maybe. Just yeah. saying. I do think Ashley Johnson is, is pretty great in just the small bit we get of her, though. It's Ashley Johnson, so she's always going to be good. But yeah, it, it was really nice to see her. We, uh, we catch back up with the main plot. Resuming on a, a very broken-seeming Ellie. You know, the events of her interaction with David kind of clearly destroying all of her innocence and really leaving a shell of the person we've spent a lot of the season with. She's very quiet and, like, kind of numb and almost a little lethargic. Um, in the game, you get pieces of that, but because the story has to rapidly move and you're fighting so much infected, 
you kind of brush over that. What did you think of the way that they kind of show Ellie's trauma following the events of David in this episode? I think it's really good. Uh, I think it's very important because you watch her literally bash his skull in. Yeah. Um, it would mess someone up, so it's good to show it. It up pretty hard. So I think it's definitely good to show. Um, yeah. And w- especially in this show where we're dealing with more of the characters like mental issues and problems and that kind of thing. I think it's really important to show her dealing with the trauma of killing David. Right. And, you know, like, going into season two, going into season three, Ellie's never the same after what happens with David. It's a, it's not a little shift that she kind of, like, behaves a little bit different. Then she's back to that, like, lovable little girl. Like, after the events of David, she kind of loses all of her innocence. It kind of really shatters the version of that character that we spend most of the story with. And so I think even just exploring in the subtle ways, it's the way Bella Ramsey kind of looks up and she's like clearly spaced out. Like she didn't hear anything Joel said because she's just so caught up in, in the trauma and the shock of what is, what has happened to her. I think it's a very important to set it up and to set up that version of Ellie as a character, because that's the version of Ellie we're going to be spending a lot more time with going forward. I thought it was really good. Um, Pedro Pascal in this episode is something that I thought was really interesting. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. Throughout the season, we've seen brutal, jaded Joel. And then at times, we've seen lovable, friendly Joel kind of pop through. And then the first thing I noticed while watching this episode is like, Pedro Pascal is so like giddy as Joel in this episode. It was almost a little weird to see. He's like, he just keeps, keeps talking. He doesn't ever stop. He's going this long, long sentence. And I just thought that there's such like a youthful nature. And that's something that came to my mind is like, Ellie lost her innocence and Joel got his back and not like through Ellie losing hers, but through his relationship with Ellie. And it's just really interesting to see Ellie become this hardened character and have Joel like constantly smiling and cracking all these jokes. What did you think of, for lack of better wording, like happy Joel in the first and I guess towards the ending of this episode? Yeah, I would say it's kind of weird, but it's also really sad when you think about it because if you're Mm -hmm. talking about happy joel towards the end of this episode joel is happy because he got what he wanted Mm -hmm. and ellie did not and joel took that away from her Mm -hmm. um and it's kind of sad because yes joel is giddy but he's also just talking to fill the awkward silence that now exists between the both of them right um and so like i think it is it feels a little weird and i think it's supposed to feel a little weird because you know deep down that it's not real and it's not like actual camaraderie right now. It's, like he's, he stole something from her and Joel, he's, he's masking it with that, this persona. Yeah, Joel was like, let me talk so we don't have to talk about the big question in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember a, like a while ago in one of these episodes, you asked me like, do I feel like Joel and Ellie's relationship was happening too fast? At the end of this episode, I did feel that. Um, I And it might just be, like, partially because Joel is doing that weird, like, let me fill the silence. But he's just, like, constantly talking about Sarah and making all these, like, very blatant references that he's like, you are now my daughter. I see you as my daughter. I yeah. very much see it. And I'm like, whoa, this is, like... A little too much. I get that you two are, like, that's how it's supposed to feel, but it just felt a little too forced at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I, I think that also has to do with the fact that he's just trying to fill that awkward silence. Right. It's like, it, it, like you said, yeah, it kind of is meant to feel a little bit forced and weird by the ending of the episode because that natural bond they've worked on for so long throughout the season is kind of gone. You know, like yeah. by the end of this episode, Ellie doesn't really want to talk the same way she wanted to talk the whole season. She kind of is distrustful. She's traumatized from what had happened with David. She's really lost a lot of what she talked about throughout the first half of the season. So Joel's trying to fill that void. And I think it, you're right. I think it's meant to feel a little bit awkward and a little bit forced. That being said, you know, maybe a little bit time, a little bit more time put into there would have been a little nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I do completely agree though. I think there was a moment where at the ending of the episode, Pedro's ha- I think it's his hair. I don't know something about his hair. He's just, it's so long and silly looking. I was just like, he seems so giddy. And I, I think I said that out loud in the room I was watching with. I was just like, I don't know what's going on with his hair, but like, I just, he doesn't look stern anymore. He's, just, it's not just his hair. It's just a detail that I just like picked up on. I was just like, huh. He just seems, he seems so youthful. And I maybe that, that one. I think it's just a makeup thing. I think they just kind of purposely de-age Pedro a little bit to make him look a little bit more youthful. Like he's gotten some of his innocence back. Maybe it's just a nothing detail, but I picked up on it and I was just like, he looks silly. And I think that might be intentional. Um, So my favorite moment from the entirety of the first game is in this episode. And I think that they adapt it perfectly. It's the, the draft sequence. Um, For me, I like, I'll get your, I'd love to get your thoughts on it, but I feel like the draft sequence is such like a great representation of like really what the last of us is about, which is like hope in the middle of the darkness. So like, in this episode, which goes in some extremely dark directions, what did you think of seeing that like very brief, sweet moment occur before you know what we end up getting in the next ten minutes of the episode? Uh, I thought it was like, I mean, it was shot for shot from the game. It's yeah, like, it's pretty it's, spot on. It not pretty spot on. I literally have watched the sequence like not that long ago because Sid played through it. It's like exact um, from the little hallways they walk through to get up there. Um, to the whole sequence they have uh, sitting there on the roof. Even there's a moment where they're just looking at it in silence, and in the game you can just sit there for as long as you want until you decide to leave. Yeah. Um, like, it is shot for shot. The crazy thing is that I didn't realize is when I was watching it, I was like, that is the fakest-looking giraffe I have ever seen. So I it's wanted not, to ask us, yeah. It's not the giraffe. It's the entire background. They're mm-hmm. on a blue screen, and it's just because the background looks is so cgi that it makes the giraffe look not real but the giraffe is real yeah and it's very funny that a lot of people online were like that giraffe is the worst cgi ever and it's like that's a real giraffe it's just the the giraffe being composed onto a cgi background that makes the giraffe look fake here's here's the problem and i realized it when i looked at the behind the scenes shots they didn't like the giraffe properly they that is in a it's in an enclosed like blue screen set that is like darker than the shining bright sun in the outside of the VFX. Oh, okay. So they just didn't light the giraffe properly, which is like the simplest thing to do. Very weird that they wouldn't do that. It's a giraffe outside daytime. Like, give it light. Give him some sun. Literally. Uh, so that I think that's exactly why it looks so weird is because the lighting was so off that it just didn't fit, which I don't know why they didn't fix that later in post or anything, but hey, whatever. Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't think it's one of those things that like, I think it's just the initial 
shot of the draft that actually looks bad. He actually looks like completely fine in like every other moment going forward, at least in my opinion. It's Not just that mine. brief when you first see him where it's like, what the f- that's a CGI draft, and it is actually not. They actually, it's really funny to look at the clips of Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal just, like, petting that draft and hanging out with it. Because the entire internet could, was convinced that that draft wasn't real. Yeah. When I um when I play the game, I do tend to just sit, as you had mentioned, you can just stay there for as long as you like. This is, like, such a peaceful moment after so much fucking tragedy throughout the story. I will usually just spend, like, a solid 15 minutes just hanging out with the drafts. Just sit mm-hmm. there. A very peaceful music playing. Um, same music plays in this scene. Uh, it's not one of those things that, like, I have, like, crazy thoughts. Like, what'd you think about the draft scene? But it was one of those things where, like, I just really wanted to see it adapted. And the fact that they know that fans care about the scene enough to just, like, beat for beat. As you had mentioned, it's even, like, Ellie running through the halls leading up to it. And the way that they pet that first draft and then they leave it to go up and get a better view. I just think it's a very sweet moment. And considering what will follow in the moments directly after the draft moment it's just it's one of those things that i think stays in the minds of gamers and uh and viewers alike so following their sweet sweet encounter with this draft they they leave they continue their journey no infected anyways joel and ellie are ambushed by fireflies via a flash grenade i believe it was uh and they wake up at the hospital and joel finds out that the only way Ellie's blood can be used as a cure is to remove her brain, thus killing her. Uh, no, it's uh, it's that they need the thing. It's like a part that's attached to her brain. It's not her right. whole brain. It's a piece of her brain. Right. They need to make the cure. So I would imagine that's like the piece that the cordyceps would take over. And it's the part that the, the cordyceps hasn't or the part that confused the cordyceps, essentially. If I, really I had know. if I had to guess, um, I would say that it's probably, like you're saying, like the cordyceps attach themselves to that part of the brain, but uh, since the brain wasn't fully developed when it happened or something, it just kind of grew with it. Yeah. Um, so you have to take that part out. But I don't right. know. Joel does not, you know, understandably so, is not a fan of this idea. Immediately kind of shuts this down. Marlene says, Joel says, find someone else. Marlene says, there is no one else. With the revelation of Ellie's ability to be, you know, like, what made her immune, I'm just like, is there no one else? It, has this happened to no one else in the world? Because I think yeah. it's actually kind of easily, rep- you could replicate this pretty easily. You very much could. Um, and Marlene knows exactly what happened, right? Like, could she not replicate it? I mean, that kind of sucks because it means so- that... Her mom has to die, but... Yeah, so when Anna is giving birth, and th- this kind of gets into the whole theme of, like, lying for the thing that you love, which is very core to what Joel ends up doing here. Right, she says that she got bit after he- she cut the cord. Yeah, she she says the infected came in and bit her right after she cut the cord, and she even says it multiple times. She's like, after. it, Like, she's, like, clearly trying to, like, lie and convince her. Maybe Marlene knows deep down, but what she was told was that it was that it was after. Yeah. Although, if, you know, if somebody told me that and then all of a sudden the kid just so happened to be immune, I think I'd be like, I don't know if I believe you, but okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, so this leads us into the biggest moral quandary of all time. Does Joel let them go through with this for the sake of saving the world or does Joel save his world? Um, 
I guess we've never really talked about Joel's decision because even when we did an episode on Last of Us 2 all these years ago, that wasn't really the main focus of that. We were talking about Last of Us 2 at its forefront. What do you think on Joel's big decision? What are your thoughts on it? Because I lo- I- I've been wanting to talk about it for a while with you. To be honest, as someone who's played the game and now watched the show, I still think Joel made the wrong decision, but it's kind of hard to... Um, like, I understand the way he's thinking and in the situation he's in, but every time I watch it happen or, like, play it through, I'm like, God, what am I doing? Like, I what know, is, right? why, 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 why? Um, and I think, to be honest, I think here in the show, um, I ask why even more because that connection with Joel and Ellie is still there, but it's not the same. Um, and so it feels a bit evil what he's doing because i'm like this is a chance for the world to be better um even though i like i understand uh his connection with ellie it's just like oh joel you are dooming whoever is left alive on this planet this entire planet to die yeah is it really worth it to kill all these people just to save this one girl even though there's a chance that everything could be better Mm-hmm. for his brother, uh, for all the people back in Jackson. Like, there are so many people uh, to think about. But, I mean, he makes his decision and goes through with it. So, Yeah. I think the thing about Joel's decision is that it is the wrong decision. And yet, there's no reality where Joel making the other decision makes any sense for his character. You know, like, this is yeah. what Joel would do. This is who he is. He's not going through losing his daughter figure twice um and so i think joel's choice is one of those things where it is inherently selfish it is the wrong choice um and and yet there's no other option for him he's he's not thinking about saving the world because to him he hasn't cared about the world in in 20 years this is the first time that he's come around to actually feeling love again to, to caring about anything and i think what you said about in the game it feels one way and in the show it feels the other way i think that they intentionally wrote it here to like be like this is a little evil you know in the game when you're playing it it's kind of fun in a sense because you're like i want to save ellie and these motherfuckers are getting in my way i'm going to do whatever i have to do to save ellie when you're playing it you give yourself over to whatever side of the narrative that you fall on um but then when you're watching it in this form it becomes this different thing where you're able to look at joel and be like jesus what are you doing man because you're not him and when you're him you make that choice a lot easier. But the second you're being forced to play middle line and you're watching all these, you know, potentially innocent people just get mowed down, um, I think it it becomes a lot more clear that Joel's choice is pretty evil and pretty selfish. Yeah. And I think that's why it's such an interesting choice. To me, it's one of, like, the most interesting tragedies of all time. Because by doing this, Joel effectively does kind of ruin his relationship with Ellie anyways. Um it puts a rift between them that is never really repairable. Uh, and I, I think that he saves her, but he doesn't really. And so he dooms the world and also doesn't really save Ellie because he takes away her freedom and her urgency over something that she might have wanted to do. We don't know where Ellie falls at this point in the story with that with that decision, but he takes that choice away from her. And so I think that that's why it's such an interesting decision is because it's it is evil, but it's done out of love. And that's the hardest part 
to mm-hmm. as a viewer to kind of toe the line between. So, like, I'm curious, what do you genuinely think would have happened if Joel didn't kill them and let them escort him out of the building? And I ask because it's almost universally believed that the Fireflies were going to just kill him. And the reason people think that, at least in the game, I don't know if we really get a, a detail that signifies it in the show, but in the game, they walk Joel right past all of his belongings, right past his backpack, right past his weapons. They just, when they're escorting him out, he, they don't stop for any of his stuff. And people are like, they were just going to kill him. They didn't want to give him any stuff because they were just going to toss him aside. What do you think would have happened if Joel hadn't made the decision he did and let them do the thing? I don't think it's, I, I don't know if they would have killed him or not, but if you've got someone who's being hostile and is like, no, you can't do that. I'm taking her. Why would you give him back his guns? Yeah. Um, that would be the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Maybe they would have killed him. Uh, I kind of doubt it, seeing as he did bring them the potential cure for the apocalypse. Uh, but who knows? Um, but, like, I don't know. If he had gotten out of there um, and they just like, kind of let him go, I'm sure he probably would have just gone back to Jackson and lived a miserable life with his brother. Yeah, he would have just become the Joel that we saw at the beginning of the show, if not worse. Yeah, exactly. So I think yeah. that's either that or you would have shot himself. So there's a there's a whole very loud part of the internet that's just like the Fireflies are idiots and they had no idea what they were doing. And their whole plan was reliant on a gamble and Joel just wasn't willing to take that gamble. And I don't know if I necessarily agree that heavily that like their whole plan was based on a gamble, but to be fair, we don't have any proof that their plan would have worked. They could have just been like, oh, no, this this didn't go how we wanted, and now Ellie's dead. Very true, but isn't it worth trying, you know? Like, we're talking about a world where everything has gone to shit. There is no other option. Would you not still try, regardless of, it, regardless of if it's a gamble or not? Like, there's a chance that you could save the world and that everyone, everything might be okay again. Yeah. I think that's a pretty worthy gamble. Yeah, that's true. So the way that the cure in this world would work is that everybody who's infected is still going to remain infected. There's no way of fixing that. They're fucked. Yeah. But but people going forward, if they take this cure, would have the same immunity that Ellie would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a great what if. Unfortunately, they will never know. But mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we see Joel's killing spree play out in an extremely harrowing way. I feel that they kind of make this interesting choice to... You know, when you play the game, you're going floor for floor, person for person. And they kind of make this choice here to have Joel pretty much go numb. It's all just kind of fusing together. So, like, you're seeing him kill one person and then another person just... Then all of a sudden he's on a different floor. Um, And the thing to me that impressed me the most about the way that they execute this scene is the almost, like, mechanical way that Joel goes about doing this. Like, he is so blank-faced and so stone-cold. It's actually pretty creepy to see him doing it, the way he's just popping people in the head doesn't even hesitate doesn't even think about it. it's just one by one um the survivor in him slips back out you know it's his face is just yeah. he just looks pretty much the way we we met him at the beginning of the story it doesn't it's not the joel that has opened his heart back up this is this is the killer this is the the version of joel that we meet at the start of the story mm-hmm. it's really intense to watch as someone who's played through joel's killing spree multiple times beat for beat you know how it all go goes what did you think about seeing it brought to TV and how they kind of handle adapting that core sequence. Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought it was like, 
it's interesting to see him go totally numb, just like you're saying about how he's just kind of robotic with the way yeah. that he's killing everyone. And I think that's kind of how you do it. Um, you make it so that he does everything, and then afterwards he feels the emotion and the weight of it. Um, and then it hits you way harder because it's way later in the fact that, oh, it's already done. You didn't mm-hmm. even get a moment to process it while it's happening. So, In the game, you know, you with video games, you play from his back. You don't see Joel's face. And so I think actually almost all the shots you see of Joel here are his face. And I think that adds this very sinister tone to the whole sequence where, like, you just see how aware he is when you're when you're moving a controller around and you're playing from someone's shoulders. You don't really like feel any emotional grip in that moment, and just seeing how completely aware Joel is of what he's doing and like he just precision aiming on people's heads through win- through mirrors and windows. It's just like, man, this is downright evil. This is just mm-hmm. mass murder right here. Um, so this episode right now might feel like a, a season finale, but the impact of this decision defines, you know, without, with mildly spoiling stuff, the impact of this decision defines so much of the rest of the narrative, even season two and three will revolve a lot around how this episode played out. Uh, We're going to spend a lot of time investigating this choice. Do you think that this episode succeeds at setting up the driving force behind so much of the rest of the plot? Or do you feel like it, uh, it feels a little one note for you right now? I think it sets it up. Um, I don't think there is enough emotional weight, though, to carry two seasons that are going to heavily rely on this choice. I think there will be as we continue to go, but at the for the moment, there it's just like I don't think it was enough. Um, but I'm sure they will fix that through little things that I know from know of in the second game and like all all this stuff that they can do to make those moments hit even harder. So I'm sure that after this first season, they learned lots, and hopefully the second season will be even better. You know, yeah, I I agree completely. You get some ominous shots, to say the least, and really to that's all that you get here that really sets up what is going to come. Um, in particular, after Joel kills that lead doctor, there's just like an extended take of his blood pooling around him on the floor. And I was like, well, I know where this is headed. Um and it'll be really interesting to see how TV show viewers for the first time uh, handle or I guess take to what that choice means for the rest of the plot. But I think you're right. There could have been a little bit more foreshadowing and setup that I, I would have loved, just little things um, to really drive the emotional weight of it. I think it becomes very clear when Joel kills that lead doctor and spares the other two. That is just like, it's, I don't know. It's just a very, um, it's a decision that is going to come back up, you know, to say the least. It's just like the fact that he even left people alive in that room, uh, I thought was an interesting choice because when I play the game, I just kill all three of them. Um, maybe that says more about me as a gamer than I think it does. It does. I yeah. think it does. I'm just like, I'm not taking any chances here. I don't want to leave these two alive. They've, they've seen my face. Um, he, but he does leave those two alive, and I think that that's a detail that was very purposefully left into the show and that will will play a role in going forward. So this episode concludes the exact same way as the game, with Ellie asking Joel to promise he's telling the truth and then him assuring her that he is. We hold on Ellie's face for a brief shot of disbelief before she says okay and then the credits roll. Do you think any part of Ellie 
believes Joel? No. Okay. No way. There's no way. Like, Pedro Pascal played that line so well that it, does. you can very clearly tell that he's not telling the truth. There's yeah. no way Ellie believes that. And from I what actually, I know in the second game, there's no way Ellie believes that. I actually think Troy Baker delivers that line in a much more, like, believable way. And that's not uh, an insult to Pedro's. I think Pedro's performance is very purposefully, like, his lies are slipping through. And you're meant to be able to see it. Um, you're meant to tell that he's kind of bullshitting. Whereas with Troy Baker's performance, I, I kind of believe him and I know what he did. You know, like mm -hmm. he very sternly is like, this This is how this happened. And so Ellie's face at the ending of the game is more of a face of like, I don't know what to believe. I'm really confused. And Bella's face at the ending of this episode is like, you're fucking lying to me. It's like straight up, like, I know that you're lying to me. But there's no point in arguing about it, so whatever. I think that it's interesting, too, that Joel's lie, the way that he lies about it in the show, is different. It's just more of a, he drags the excuse a lot more. So the excuse in the game is they ran some tests, they found nothing, there's plenty of kids like you, you're useless. He takes away the meaning of her, her immunity. Here, and I thought this was interesting, he gets hurt. There's a, there's a graze along his neck, like he gets kind of a little bit messed up. And so his lie now needs to revolve around the fact that something happened that caused some violence. And so he tells Ellie that raiders showed up and that they killed all the all the fireflies and that he just barely got her out of there. I think that makes his lie a lot harder to believe. And I think it's an interesting thing to add. It's just like, oh, I had to, uh, I barely got you out of there. There was people were shooting at each other and I took a shot. And it just, it's this, it's so dramatic Whereas Joel's first excuse is so simple that it, it doesn't really leave a lot of questions to be asked. But his lie here leaves a lot more questions to be asked. It's just something I thought was uh, was really interesting, the way that they mm -hmm. add that there. So with that, season one of The Last of Us is done. I guess going into season two, is there anything you want to see out of future seasons of the story? Knowing where the story's going, um, anything that you'd be most interested to see adapted to TV, whether it's like tonal things or character things or just anything at all really i would love to see more infected even though i know that that's not gonna happen um like in the back of my head i'm like there's no way they're gonna have more infected because i remember playing through the second game and there i feel like there's less infected um there's some really big sequences with infected in the second game like really big and when they adapt those i feel like they'll really commit to them but again there's some big infected sequences in this first game that just are completely removed from the show yeah so who knows but i would love to see more zombies it is a zombie apocalypse show after all i understand mm -hmm. it's about people but there are also zombies there and those zombies can in can show you a lot of things about how a person thinks yeah so last of us two to mildly i guess minor detail picks up five years after last of us one um, would you like to see more time in between the first and second story? Or do you think that the second story works because it's such a jarring cut? Well, here's my question. You said season two and three. Are they already confirmed for a third season? Yes. Um, they confirmed... Well, they're not, like, greenlit for the third season yet, but they confirmed that with the success of the show, there's no chance they don't get a season three. Um, and they said that they want Last of Us 2 to be adapted into multiple seasons of storytelling because it's a much more dense, much more challenging 
narrative and they want to give that particular story a lot more time to breathe. Whereas the first one is pretty much a road trip. You know, it's a very simple road trip story. They meet people. They like, they like the people, the people die and their connection strengths strengthens throughout the process. The second one is a much more intense story. And so they said that they want to get a couple seasons out of that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to have a little bit of time. Um, I don't know if I want more. I think the five-year gap is is perfectly fine. I agree. Although I do think that the opening sequence before the five-year gap in Last of Us 2 is really great. And I'd, I'd totally be up for them adapting. Because uh, you get one sequence between Joel and Ellie in pretty much right after Last of Us 1 before you get the five-year gap. Uh, and then it says five years later. And I think if they were to do the first episode of season two, all revolving around that in-between time before episode two is the five-year gap, mm-hmm. I think I'd, I'd be up for that. I think that'd be really cool to see. Give us a little bit more of that kind of immediate animosity between Joel and Ellie based on his decision. Just to drag that out a little bit more before shifting away to the main narrative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also do think that I guess what this show does so well and what I'm excited to see them do towards the second one is the way that they're able to flesh out and expand upon characters that are otherwise side characters. So a couple name drops for people who have played Last of Us 2, but, you know, characters like Dina and and Jesse and really even Abby are, are characters that I'm excited to see more time and more fleshed out motives for in really just emotional states. In particular, Jesse's a character who I really like in Last of Us 2, just doesn't get enough screen time. And I think that he's a character they can have a lot of fun with in the second season. I'd be really excited to see that. And yeah. more Tommy, of course. Gabriel Luna is going to be a, a big player in the story going forward. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Pedro Pascal has not played The Last of Us games, and Gabriel Luna has. Um, and so Gabriel Luna did like an interview where he just he knows that he's going to have such an increased role in the next story. And he was just like telling Pedro, he was just like, I can't wait to work with you next season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lot more screen time. And Pedro's just like, oh cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. He just has no idea. He's just doing his job. Whereas Gabriel Luna is kind of an actual fan. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, with that last of us, season one is done to those of us who have, or to those who have listened to look for the light each week throughout the show's run. Um, thank you. Covering TV is in a weekly format is something that's been very interesting and a huge pivot away from what we've done on the dive in for nearly three years now. So very much appreciate anyone who took the plunge on this story with us each week. We're going to be covering season two for Look for the Light, inevitably, but that's years away, mm-hmm. probably two two years away. So we got some waiting to do there. Um, but yeah, do you have any final thoughts on this episode of The Last of Us, the season of The Last of Us? Uh, really good. Uh, I thought it was a really good season. I can't wait to see more when it eventually comes out but yeah i i really had a good time and i think they did a great job at adapting the game to the tv show mm-hmm. what did you uh, what would you rate this episode this finale out of, out of five mm. five dead fireflies <laughs> wow couldn't thought of like and like five giraffes five giraffes is a little more wholesome maybe i should have went with that one um i'd give it like a solid four four out of five Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good, um, but I thought they could have spent just like way more time on a lot of things. So, um, if they were to put more time into any place in the story, where would you have wanted to see that go? Definitely more time into, like, 
I understand that we have a lot of things we want to show. I understand we want to show different characters, some of their past, all these things. But here's the thing. I find it mildly a little bit pointless to show a bunch of backstory for a character that is probably going to die and then you're never going to see them again. Um, so I totally understand showing us the David arc and how like what's happening with the cannibal town and whatever. I think we could have gotten through that a lot faster. So we could have had more time with Joel and Ellie. Mm -hmm. um, like, I love that they're taking the time to flesh out these characters, but these are our main characters, and I really want to feel the weight of their relationship, how much Joel cares about Ellie, like, all these things. And you do, eventually. But if you can make it happen quicker, uh, people will be latched onto your characters way longer and care about them way more in the end. Mm. Um, so I just think, I hope that, like, they see that in the second season, and they do get to spend the time on those extra characters, but that they really build up, build up that animosity between Joel and Ellie in the first couple uh, episodes, just so we can, like, really have a big emotional arc for Ellie to go through as she continues on. Right. I do not envy the person who has to adapt Last of Us 2. I've been, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm just like... Last of Us 2 is one of my favorite stories ever. I, I like Last of Us 2 more than I like Last of Us 1. Not to take away from Last of Us 1, but that story, the second story, just has a bigger impact on me. And I've been thinking a lot about, Jesus Christ, how are they going to put this on television? Like, how, how do you do it? I am so nervous for them due to the backlash that Last of Us 2 got from the Last of Us community. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to try and adapt that to a TV show? Like, you are asking for people to get mad. Yeah. Um, so, hey, we'll see. Uh, I, and they've confirmed they're not changing it, the narrative. And I think that's important. Last of Us 2's narrative is completely built around those decisions that frustrated the fan base so much. There's no way to tell that story without following it how it is. That is how the story plays out. But, yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about the moral tightrope that that story makes you walk and just... It's one thing when you're playing it as a video as a video game because you're more willing to to commit to it because you're in it. But I just people are just gonna fucking lose their minds, and I'm just like really excited to see and really nervous to see how they adapt it. And I, I will agree with you that I just think, um, you know, spending a little bit more time off the rip, just really like getting into the nitty gritty of their relationship and how it stands after this decision. Um, is very, very important. And so that pilot, or not pilot, but uh, the next episode of the show just has a lot to deliver on emotionally. And I think that they can do it, of course. They did it all for a season. But it's a it's a crazy story to get into, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know how I'm even going to talk about it um, on the podcast two years from now. <laughs> but yeah, I think I would also, I, I'd give this episode a four and a half. Although it left some things to be desired for me, I, I liked it a, just a tad more than you, um, and the things that were effective were just so effective. I've just been replaying the music while Joel goes through the Firefly Hospital and just takes them out one by one. It's just been stuck in my head. Just a very evil, harrowing scene, and I think the way that they tapped into the almost like Michael Myers horror movie nature of Joel as a character throughout that sequence was very impressive. Um, and although I do wish this episode had about 10 to 15 minutes longer, I've been saying for a while now, how dare they give us two two hour and a half episodes and then just like shorten the episodes down to 40 minutes. Like that was a decision. That was a choice. 
And it's maybe the one thing I questioned their judgment on just because it was just like, hey, we're going to spend a lot of time just hanging out in the first few episodes and we're going to give you pretty much movie length episodes. And then as the story gets more intense, we're going to shorten them. I was just like, why didn't we just maintain the same runtime for all the episodes here? It would have allowed you to divide the wealth a little bit, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. But anyways, yeah, I think that it's a very, very great episode, a very good wrap up for the season. And I'm so excited for for season two. Mm hmm. Um, all right. So yeah, I guess that takes us to our outro. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, thanks for checking out this series. If you want to check out our other episodes where we just talk movies, uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Wait, we uh, do that? Yeah, we, we do talk, about, talk about, movies? about movies. Yeah, it turns out we do. Um, and you can also find us on Instagram at the Dive In Movie Cast. Uh, and our individual Instagrams, I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutris, and it is the same name on our letterbox. So until season two of The Last of Us, when lost in the darkness, look for the light.